I think part of what all businesses deal with is, you know, technical debt, right? So did you have everything set up to fire the right events at the right time and feedback into whatever tools you want? That's Aaron Magnus, Chief Marketing Officer at Thistle, a meal delivery service focused on delivering plant-based, healthy food that people love. Aaron is responsible for learning about their customers' taste, dietary preferences, and crushing their revenue goals. With a focus on collecting as much customer feedback as he can, he knows a thing or two about technical debt, and he has to work around it because it can either make or break his customer data. Just having a, a tool that you know you can set up and not really have to worry about accuracy and things like that, you know, I think those are are, are key uh, things to deal with. But you know, segments feeding out all the event firing in a bunch of different channels, you need to be able to trust that, right? So I think that's a key uh, benefit that segment has built in, in the marketplace. Thistle's go-to-market strategy involves direct mail, paid media, in-person events, and much, much more. Aaron has the challenge of trying to do all of this in the most personalized way to deliver a great customer experience, which is his hallmark when it comes to marketing. With tools like Typeform, SurveyKit, Klaviyo, and Segment to make it all work, he has a stack to pipe the data around, even if it might suffer from a little bit of the technical debt. This is Dan McGaw, host of the Stack Podcast and CEO of the leading tech stack agency, McGaw.io. Each week, I speak to executives to find out the growth strategy they're using to drive revenue and the revenue machine to make it all possible. Let's jump into the conversation, though, with Aaron. Hey, it's Aaron Magnus. Uh, I'm Chief Marketing Officer at Thistle. Long story short, I'm a longtime marketer, uh, particularly consumer, particularly e-commerce, particularly DTC. I'd say I've been super lucky to work with amazing, huge brands that, you know, really showed that the importance of how the product can really break through. That was my time at Williams-Sonoma. Uh, that's where I started my career. And then at Zappos, where I was able to lead a great, huge organization that's doing things differently. And we, I think we could take the credit and blame for a lot of the way the internet and e-commerce is run today. But I think, you know, there, their main focus was, I think a lot of people understand Zappos really cares about consumers and the, the customer. I think the part that isn't always as obvious is what actually happened is Zappos really cares about its employees and happy employees make for happy customers and that whole works together. That's the area where I really have drawn so much of my experience from, you know, really focusing on customer first, focus on being, you know, we're trying to figure it out every single day, really trying to, you know, be more curious than the next. So so much of my experience uh, came through there. And then really just focusing on the importance of understanding how brand and uh, performance can work together. How do we set people up for success? How do we make sure that we're driving business forward in a way that is providing value to customers? And then that has brought me along the, the path to working at earlier stage companies, really being a part of the growth and the initiative and the strategy through that, learning every single day, right? Because you have to show up. Uh, I think that's the beauty of early stage companies that you know, you don't have the opportunity to coast. Uh, you've got to be present on and make an impact. And, you know, that has brought me through some amazing companies that are trying to figure it out along the way. You know, um, is that a company? Coastal.com, uh, Beta Brand, which was really early in trying to figure out how do you involve the community in your decision making. Um, and I think we are doing a lot of really interesting things there. Uh, brandless, really breaking through on, can you change the way people think about consuming? And can you actually be a challenger brand in every single category that's out there? And at that point, I was really thinking, well, 
you know, what are things that I'm passionate about? And I think, you know, now we're talking about, you know, both having kids and families. Well, health, wellness is super important and we need to leave the world in a better place. And so as I started like narrowing uh, the the companies that are interesting, Thistle really stood out as, as a great opportunity to one, continue my education because it's a food space. It's subscription, two things that I hadn't done uh, historically. And also just the whole ethos of what we're about, um, helping people get and stay healthy while improving the sustainability of the food system. I think that just really uh, shined to me. And it's, a, it's an area that I you know, have happily uh, been at for a little over two years now. Love it, man. Well, it's good to see that, like, you know, I mean, William Sonoma and Zappos are amazing brands. Like, one, rest in peace, Tony Shea, like, amazing dude. I loved his book, Delivering Happiness. Met many of his friends over my career and only have heard amazing things about the company and really admired what y'all did there. Now, I guess, like, when you think about going to a company like Thistle, right, you you are following more of a passion focus there, like you were saying, healthy, sustainable, things like that. Help us better understand, what is Thistle, though? Yeah, so this will we're uh, I'll start with delicious, not biased. <laughs> um, we we uh, make delicious food uh, that's globally inspired and locally sourced uh, whenever possible. So uh, we are a plant forward uh, meal delivery surface. And I think the reason it's important to really tease out in the meal delivery space a lot of times people can say it's somewhat crowded, but when you start to peel the layers of the onion and you really figure out, well, what differentiates each of these? I think that's where Thistle really shines. You know, the the main thing is we have delicious food. I think that is paramount, right? I think oftentimes people say, oh, we have this uh, health thing or we have a, uh, it may be plant-based or it might be, you know, this special diet. But if it's not delicious, the customer doesn't care, right? So let's start there. And then from there, well, what are the plus ups? Well, we're plant forward, um, vegan at its core, but we do offer opportunity for you to add uh, animal protein to some lunches and dinners uh, with the reason being, well, if we make delicious food and if we're plant forward at the core, well, it's probably a lot better for the planet to get many people to eat less meat than it is to get a few people to eat no meat, right? So we have this whole internal mantra of, don't ban meat, make it obsolete. And so we allow people to go on these like daily adventures with what they're eating, which by playing into that and giving people ingredients and foods and spices that they don't normally eat uh, from inspired, like I said, all around the world, we are, you know, leading the category in retention and, you know, retention in subscription is really all that matters. <laughs> and I think that's been a key component for our success and then just trying to find ways to, you know, make our experience better for our customers. I think that's a key component that we all need to figure out. Uh, we're doing a lot of amazing things and we still have a lot to figure out. Interesting. So you are, which I think is super cool, you know, Plant Forward One is great. So I used to work with multiple kind of vegan companies that had different types of food delivery or different things like that. But it was always like, it was strict vegan, right? And like, you weren't able to get any flexibility there. And it's like, listen, I want to have meat like twice a week. Like, it's not anything crazy. So it seems like you provide those options. But help me understand. I mean, I love this thing where you lead off with delicious, right? And don't get me wrong, you're biased, right? You come from the company. But help me better understand, how do y'all make this delicious? Like, what are the types of dishes or what are the things that you kind of do? Is it a big variety? Yeah, I think the main thing is really focusing on, you know, making delicious food. And the way we do that is really understanding what our customers are looking for, what they want, what they want more of and what they want less of. Um, you know, anytime you are really thinking about a subscription service and particularly in meals, there's a couple things to really think about there. One, it's the highest level of trust that someone can give you, right? They're consuming what you are making. It is not do these pants fit. 
right? Like, is it amazing? <laughs> does it make me feel good? Does it check all the boxes that I'm looking for? Um, we try to understand our customers uh, as much as possible uh, in the world and, you know, not to get too off topic, how do we embrace privacy, but also get to know our customers as much as possible. We do tons of surveying. Everyone, you know, you review your meals. We take all that feedback. Uh, we put it back into our system to better understand what's important. Uh, again, more, what do we want more of? What do we want less of? And variety is a key component, right? We, we're humans. We don't eat the same thing every day. Uh, and generally we don't want to. So how do we make sure we have enough breadth? And a couple things, you know, for us, we have a constantly rotating menu. I'm gonna say last year we introduced over 200 new meals, right? And then so this constant freshness is such a key component. I think that really helps us. Uh, we buy local whenever possible, organic when it makes sense. You know, we 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 do the things that are important uh, without wasting effort on things that aren't important to our customers. And I think that's something that in a world of you can do everything all the time. You know, what do you say no to? What do you find out what's important? How do you ask your customers? Give them the respect that they deserve, you know, of what they're looking for, what they do like, what they don't like. And then how do you act on that information? And how do you, you know, provide a better value for our customers? And that feedback loop is, I think, what's super important that I think sometimes brands are really great at collecting data. How good are they at reacting to it and providing the customer with added value? And that's something we really try to do. Love it. I love it. Now, you know, I'm, I'm super big into this kind of space. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not vegan by any means, like, but I try to eat as plant forward as I possibly can. I'm getting older. So I have to, of course, eat healthier and things like that. So, but it's interesting because it's got to be an expensive product and you've got to be limited to the markets that you're in now. Cause you can't just be everywhere at all one time with this. It's a hard service. So I guess like when you think about the KPIs and the goals that you have in your role, right. And then how that kind of extrapolates out through the teams, what are the major metrics you're tracking? I mean, you talked about surveying, but like, what are the big KPIs you look at? Well, I and mean, to even under, uh, help understand why that is so important to us from the start of we can't serve everywhere. When you're making delicious, fresh plant-based meals, you can't put it in a box and ship across the U.S. So we have to be in proximity to our major, uh, let's call them kitchens, plants, where we actually manufacture the food. So what's important to me, you know, is when I say everything's always important, but really what does success look like, you know, when you're uh, heading up a marketing organization? Are you driving new customer acquisition at an efficient rate, right? So new customer growth is super key. The customers that you've acquired, are you retaining them? I think that comes out in how you figure that out. There could be a few different ways uh, to find that, but are they sticking with you long enough to showing, you know, I think oftentimes people think, retention. And that means, you know, did you just make another purchase? For us, it's all about loyalty. Are you actually getting meals delivered every single week, right? That's a key component when you go from acquisition to retention to loyalty. And then the last is really, you know, if we are providing the right amount of value to you as a customer, are you buying more things? Are you spending more of your uh, dollars? Let's call it share of stomach, right? Like, are, are you uh, relying on Thistle uh, for more of your overall uh, meal needs? And I think those are probably the three main things that we're looking at, you know, from the growth, retention, and then uh, the overall spend. Now, so you, you talked about new customer acquisition. You've got to get an efficient rate to acquire them. Then you've got to get them to stick around. And then not only do you have to get them to stick around, but it sounds like you need to, I mean, fill up more of their belly throughout the week with your food. So I guess like when you think about that, like what are the big projects that you're running now to kind of run those KPIs and really drive that forward? There's always new projects, right? And there's you can always do more. Um, I think the main part, and depending on different stages of companies, Part of the big question is, where are you putting you know, your big bets? 
right? Because you can do all the things, right? And there's tools out there to allow you to do everything. But how do you say no to a lot of the good ideas so that you can focus on the great ideas, right? And I think that's really an, an, an important uh, component. So for us from projects, let's think about acquisition. Well, from there, you know, you have a lot of platforms to use and we're a DTC brand. So we're in all the things that, you know, everyone else in our space is in. But I think the key component is how are you not over-reliant on any one of them? Right. So and how are you actually respecting where that customer is in their uh, journey? And I'll give a couple examples. You know, if you're seeing digital ads, if it's the first time you've interacted with us, are we doing enough storytelling in that ad to help you understand what Thistle holistically is about? So then you start thinking about retargeting. Or are you getting a little more narrow to help people through the decision of, yeah, this is something I actually want to try, or then bottom of funnel. And then same thing could happen across, let's call it direct mail. The first time you get a direct mail piece from us, uh, you'll probably find it's from a larger, uh, bigger format, so we can do more storytelling. If it's a second piece you've gotten from us, it's probably a little more narrow just to remind you of the things that you thought were interesting and important. And then if you've gotten a few of these from us, it's probably more of a postcard to re- you know really encourage you to make that final purchase. So I think from a project perspective is, you know, how do you balance new customer acquisition to then building out as robust as possible CRM so that you're actually getting more people to stay engaged, retain? Because once you're a subscription uh, service, right, you can't let them forget about you. So you want to stay engaged. So then at that point, it starts thinking about, well, what are the things we can do to provide value? Um, And some things that we're doing there uh, in that space at Thistle, we have, if new customers have access to a free nutrition consultation, um, doing various in-person events, whether it's outdoor yoga at the beach that we've done in San Francisco and San Diego and LA, or partnering with other brands that are like-minded in, in wellness and sustainability so that we can you know, continue to build out how Thistle is there for you beyond just the one meal that you're eating today, right? There's so much more to it. And I think that challenge of continuing to find ways for your brand to show up and provide value is something that you know we're doing better today than we used to and we're going to do much better tomorrow than we are today man can you tell aaron cares about the customer his experience from zappo has really shaped his view of the world and that's a good thing i'm a big fan of zappos and i read tony shea's book delivering happiness a couple times now if you aren't familiar tony shea and zappos were known for their hyper focus on their customers experience a lot of people say they put the customer's experience first but few ever go as far as zappos did and this is one of the reasons why amazon acquired zappos for 1.2 billion in 2009 and still puts up with their management's antics today Putting your customer first, and I mean first, is just good for business. Zappos focused on the relationship with the customer compared to the standard LTV and churn metrics. As an e-commerce company with a call center, something that most companies don't even have, they took a different approach to building relationships. Here is the late Tony Shea back in 2010 speaking at Stanford to talk to the students about his customer philosophy. We found that the telephone is actually one of the best branding devices out there because We have the customer's undivided attention for five to 10 minutes. And if we get the interaction right, we find that the customers remember that for a very long time and tell their friends and family about us. And we run our call center very differently from most call centers. We don't have scripts. Uh, We don't have this concept of average handle time, which most call centers have, which is all about 
how quickly can you get the customer off the phone in the name of being more efficient. But we're not trying to maximize for efficiency. We're trying to maximize for the customer experience. And we don't upsell. And so going back to the no, no call time, I actually just got an email last night. A new record was set for the longest phone call ever. It was uh, eight hours and three minutes long. So yeah, I don't know how the bathroom situation worked out for, for that one. But, and it may seem weird that you know, for us, we're an internet company. 95% of our sales go through the website. So why do we focus so much on the telephone? And what we found is actually, on average, almost every customer calls us at least once sometime during their lifetime. And it's actually usually not to place an order. Uh, most of our phone calls do not result in orders. It might be their first time going through the returns process, and they just need help stepping through the process of printing out the return label. Uh, for the first time, or maybe they have a wedding over the weekend and they just want some fashion advice. And I think we have some customers that call us because they're lonely and we'll, um, <laughs> we'll talk to them as well. Tony was a great guy and it's a shame he passed away back in 2020. I left you a link for the full talk he did at Stanford in the show notes. It was pretty good stuff. Focusing on the wrong metrics like shorter call times can leave you doing more harm than good. After my interview with Aaron, he told me another great example of how Zappos reviewed their shoe return policy. They had customers buying 10 pairs of shoes and returning nine. They didn't look at the numbers in panic. They slowed things down, did some analysis, and discovered that those customers with this behavior were their biggest brand ambassadors. They might have ordered and returned a lot of shoes, but at the same time, they told everybody they knew about how much they love Zappos. Metrics can be misleading, and you need to focus on delivering happiness, just like Tony wrote in his book. Enough of me. Let's get back to Aaron. So you got these ads that are running. You're doing some storytelling. You had talked about in the advertising, you're also running retargeting, but you're also doing direct mail. So I'm, I'm curious, like, what is this CRM? Like, what marketing automation platform are you using that's helping power all of the, those things? Yeah, um, I think oftentimes people can think CRM is super broad or CRM is super narrow. You know, for us, we're trying to build as we as we go. But from tools that we're using, you know, we use Clavio as a, a central repository. Plus, we have all of our you know Redshift and uh, databases to be able to run special queries to feed back into the tool. So you have Clavio using as your CRM. It sounds like you are storing a lot of data in Redshift and then you're resurfacing that Redshift data back up into Clavio. How are you connecting those two? Does Clavio have a reverse ETL product or... Maybe I overstate a bit how we're using that. I think where the main point is, a lot of CRM tools are great. You will still have to do other queries and finding out additional information, right? To go back to the specific tools that we're using. Um, so within Clavio, we'll have like a ServiKit plugin or a Typeform plugin so that if we're asking you a question, that appends to your profile. And then at that point, we're able to action on that in a helpful way for you. Is Typeform how you're collecting most of that like survey and feedback data? Because it sounds like you're doing tons of customer feedback. Is it Typeform that's the main ingestion? Typeform and ServiKit. What is that? ServiKit. It's like a different type of type form. I mean, and I'm sure they'll hate to say that in somewhat crowded space, everyone is unique and they're doing amazing things. Um, but they're actually, they have a, a more seamless plugin uh, with Clavio specifically. They have clean uh, surveying tools uh, that give you a lot of options and flexibility. Um, again, great brand, doing great things, similar to Typeform in, the, in a category, um, but different use cases. Yeah, and it, it sounds like SurveyKit has a better integration with Clavio, which kind of makes it easier for you to run that full circle kind of marketing automation. 
Exactly. Now you had mentioned direct mail. Are you running that direct mail out of Clavio too? Like how are you sending these postcards? And We're actually not. We're not running that in-house. We have a third-party partner that we're working with and actually they're called SQL DM. They're based out of uh, Minneapolis. They've been great. I've worked with them at a couple of companies now. When you think about all of these different campaigns that you're running, I mean, what's the analytics tools that you're using to track the success and understand that you're acquiring people at the right rate and things like that? What are you using for your metrics? Everything because nothing is perfect, right? I think that's also a key component. Like we'll still use in-platform, you know, what is Meta saying, you know, the effectiveness of their ads are versus same as Google, same as Meta-based or... No, meta, I'm sorry, just uh, Facebook ecosystem. Oh, sorry. Yeah. There's all these metas now. Like, geez, oh man. <laughs> so meta, so meta. Yeah. You know, but we'll we'll look at all in-platform metrics, uh, try to marry that back with, uh, you know, GA still, and try to triangulate with, how'd you hear about us? And so with that, nothing's perfect, but at least I can look back and say, okay, as a percent of budget, how much did I spend in this channel? Does it seem to be showing up in the how'd you hear about us, you know, kind of thing? Yeah, okay, it's not perfect, but it's great. And then we have an amazing and burgeoning data science team um, that is really helping make plus that up and be more intelligent. That is now starting to marry not only uh, how much are we spending per channel, but total aggregate spend. And then, because really, as I think we all you know, appreciate, figuring out the incremental cost of each new customer, as whether we call it ICAC or ECPA or whatever the, the case is, I think those are going to start to be more and more important because we also know that you know, not all conversion metrics are, are created equal. You know, so how do we tease out the effectiveness of each channel? Because if you, as we all know, if you add up what every platform tells you they drove for new customers, your business is like 3x of what it actually is. So we, we have to tease all that out and try to find a, a more common truth. Yeah. So it sounds like, so you got Typeform at the top of the funnel and SurveyKit, which are helping you be able to collect customer data. It sounds like they're helping a little bit with the lead gen. And then it sounds like your data is flowing into Klaviyo. You've got Redshift for a data warehouse. And then also you're using Google Analytics for some of your analytics. I guess, what are the other big building blocks of your stack that are really powering what you do? Yeah, we're a segment customer, you know, make sure we're, uh, you know, getting the right events associated. Um, We use Unbounce for a landing page. Like those examples we talked about support local restaurants or local charities. We'll allow them to upload via Unbounce landing pages. And we are constantly, you know, figuring out what are ways that we can go about improving, you know, all things conversion rate related. Um, and we're currently working with Chrometrics on that. So I think from the tools and partners that we're sort of working with, that's probably the the bulk of it. We're Tableau customers, we're Popsicle uh, customers. What's Popsicle? <laughs> They're another amazing brand doing things that are super unique. But you know, yeah, making it easy to you know pull uh, database queries. Okay, so it sits on top of the warehouse. It sounds like. Yeah, that's right. Oh, interesting. Now, I guess like I'm a big fan of Segment, right? Like, how has Segment been helpful for y'all? Like, it sounds like it's doing your analytics tracking. It sounds like it's kind of tracking the things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, overall, great. I think part of what all businesses deal with is, you know, technical debt. Did you have everything set up to fire the right events at the right time and feedback into whatever tools you want? We, we have some of that cleanup, as with everyone I know um, that, that does. But yeah, just having a, a tool that, you know, you can set up and not really have to worry about, you know, accuracy and things like that. Or if you find um, things that are inaccurate, can you go in and fix it pretty simply? You know, I think those are, are, are key uh, things to deal with. But, you know, segments 
feeding out all the event firing in a bunch of different channels, you need to be able to trust that, right? So I think that's a key uh, benefit that segment has built in, in the marketplace. Yeah, segment super, super awesome. Makes it easy to do that event tracking. Now, are you using, it sounds like you're doing most of your kind of like customer marketing orchestration via Klaviyo. And it sounds like segments just kind of powering the event feed and like the identify stuff. I guess like going back to like customer acquisition and retention, you talked a lot about advertising, right? So like you're doing a lot of advertising retargeting. Are you using Klaviyo to help orchestrate that? Or is that managed using just the platforms? So primarily just platforms. Now from Klaviyo, we can you know pull audiences uh, that we're looking at and feed that back into like the you know Facebook ecosystem or whatever the case is. But for us, it's really primarily in platform, and not to say that they're not great because there's so many cloud systems that they've built amazing businesses. What I have found these solutions that claim to be able to house it all in one place. Well, they got to that through a lot of acquisitions. And so you're actually building tools that this doesn't exactly talk there. It doesn't exactly. And they're all trying to sell you into the ecosystem. You know, so if I'm looking for a point solution for something, I don't want to buy the, you know, Acme Cloud system and the cost associated with Acme Cloud system because I'm just looking for, you know, a tool to schedule Instagram Reels. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, and I think that that some of these cloud systems, that's sort of how they show up. Of uh, we can do these million things. I'm not looking for the million things. I can't afford the million things. And I probably don't have a team that could take advantage of the hundred things, let alone the million things, right? So I think that that's sort of how we're trying to, uh, with the small but mighty team, make sure we have people who can take advantage of the tools that we have in place. And then from there, uh, really grow uh, in the effectiveness of using them. So, you know, I'm totally with you in regards to like the best in breed tools compared to like the suites, right? A lot of these like walled gardens get really, really difficult and not to pick on like anybody. I'm always, I'm always picking on intercom though. You know, intercom was like my favorite chat tool of all time. And then they were like, now we do help desk. Now we do help all this stuff. I was like, guys, you do a little bit of everything, but you do everything just okay, except for chat. So like, I totally agree with you. Um, and some companies are doing this now. I even see drift nowadays. Like they're like, we do a little bit of everything. And it's like, but you slow my site down by six seconds. So like, I don't want to install your product. So I completely agree with you. I guess like when you think about all these tools that you're using, you talked a little bit about tech debt, but I guess like what are the biggest challenges that you're facing in your stack? Like when you think about managing all these tools, all this data and all this stuff, like what's the, the challenge you're facing? You know, I think regardless, we all have big challenges, right? And I'd say, do I have any stack challenges directly? Or is it, how do we get better access to smarter information that we can react to and actually implement on as quickly as possible? I would say that's probably more of, of where the challenge is, particularly how quick things are moving. So I'd say from a, you know, where the challenges are, it's probably having enough clarity around um, insights is probably a big thing. I think there's a lot of great point solution tools that give you access to, you can do all this stuff but you need people to do all the stuffs. So like, I think part of where a big opportunity on the sell side is, if you work with a lot of DTC brands, here are the 10 reports or, you know, flows or the personas or schemas or whatever the case is that you should be using out of the case. Because so often I think the challenge is you give people uh, so much access to so many different things, they're only taking advantage of five of the 10. 
And then now you're in a bad situation because on the buy side, I'm paying for 10 pieces of solution, but I'm only using five. So now I feel the value isn't even there, even though I may be getting the best possible, you know, outcome, right? So I think there's some aspect of that, of of being able to tease out what is important for our business. And that's from, you know, the onboarding, the setup, using best practices, best case, and then best learnings along the way. I think there's still an opportunity to figure that out. I think, you know, more on the more technical, technical side, that may be a bit of a challenge, you know, but as you know, like anytime you're onboarding a new partner, your engineering team is like, well, why are they doing this? Why are they doing it this way? Why don't they just, you know, do it X, Y, or Z? And it's because that the sell side is trying to be everything for everyone versus oh, we do these few things really well. Yeah, no, no, makes sense. Now, I, I guess like when you think about like recommendations that you would give other marketers that are out there trying to build their stack, you got maybe have two or three recommendations you give other people to build their stack? You know, for, for us and, and simplicity early on, and you're always going to outgrow everything and you're always going to have pain points. Um, but, you know, out of the gate, I think something like Eclavio is super easy. Right, you can get it up and running pretty quickly. You might outgrow that at some point, and you talk to someone like a list track who you want more account services and you want you know better uh, support uh, in that partnership that we were talking about earlier. Um, but I'll just use you know email. You know I think you can serve most ads directly, so you don't need a lot of third party tools to get out of the gate. And and where my head's at, and where I, I think it's important to understand is um, for early stage, you're pretty limited in what you can do because of time, energy, or resources. So don't try to do everything. So what are a few things that we can do well? You know, Zendesk works pretty well out of the box. We all communicate via Slack, so I think that's a a key component for internal comms. But I'd say, you know, as you think about it that way, rely on platforms early on. Rely on simple, get up to speed, move quickly so you can learn and figure out where you need to invest in the future. And then you have a different use case and a different um, need and willingness to invest in things because now you can do X, Y, or Z things, right? And so, like, go quickly. I think marketers need to trust their gut quite a bit. Know the data. So be super clear there. Know the details. Know the data. But then we're all in the business. We make bets, you know, and you can't rely on a tool to make that bet for you. Um, It relies on experience, your network, your peers, and know what you don't know. And I think that's another key component of of figuring out, well, where are my gaps? Where are my blind spots? And what are the tools that can help me get there or the people that can help me get there? Now, I I love the simplicity part. You know, naturally, as an early stage company, you can only do so much, right? Your team is only so big to be able to really manage all the things that you have. So definitely makes it hard. Are there two or three pieces of software, I mean, whether personal or even commercially, that have been key to your success or something you've used over and over and over again? I mean, we talked a bit about Slack, right, on whether that's a good or bad thing. We all live on Slack too much, (laughs) Um, but it's a a great tool. I think Calendly has been a great product. You know, even funny, over the weekend, my 12-year-old son decided he's going to launch a car wash business. And his tech stack is Gmail and a Calendly link. Right. So it's like, oh, you can start a business. Right. You know, so uh, Gmail as a CRM uh, and Calendly as a as a, a meeting tool. But I think that's key component. And then in, maybe as a fanboy or not, I'm an Apple product device user, but I'm a Google infrastructure user. So I think the whole ecosystem, it works together and it makes things a lot more simple. So whether it's a, a doc slide uh, sheets, um, you know, that that's the world that I live in. Awesome. Well, hey, man, this has been super, super fun. Thanks for being able to join me. Uh, This has been a lot. I learned a lot from you. Definitely. I appreciate the time. I think the main thing is 
like I've got no answers. I'm trying to figure it out, you know, and I rely <laughs> on smart people like yourself and, you know, whoever's listening to this, uh, the same. But I don't want to lose sight of that. Like it's so often that the head of marketing feels this pressure to know everything. We don't. We're figuring it out. Uh, be open to your blind spots. Uh, ask for help. Ask from your team. Ask for peers uh, and try to learn along the way. Because uh, if you feel you have no, all the answers, uh, you don't know anything and you're about to get lapped. It's true. It's true. Always be the dumbest one in the room. So, well, thanks, man. Hey, I'll catch you later. Okay. All right. Appreciate it. Take care. That's it for our conversation with Aaron. So let's review. Aaron is really focused on collecting rich zero-party data. This is the data that our customers give to us, not confused with first-party data, which is the data we track about our customers. For his team, they're sending out surveys using Typeform and SurveyKit. And then they use all this zero-party data to better segment their email list and get personalized. We talked a lot about zero-party data in our conversation with John Miller, CMO of Demandbase, and I'd recommend going back and giving that episode a listen as well. Aaron is also putting his customers at the top of his priorities. That's something he took away from his time at Zappos, which is basically the gold standard for building a brand customers love and make big revenues for it. I for sure recommend going and watching that full Tony Shea video in the show notes. You can also join me next week for a new episode of The Stack, right? And because you're interested in this podcast, naturally, the next step you should take is probably my online course, so you can go find that at stackcourse.io. Thanks for listening. Go check out our reviews, and hopefully you can leave one like everybody else. And I'll catch you next week. And if you have any feedback, always feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. Thanks so much. 